the App Guy podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. And now, Paul the App Guy. Yes, welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. I am your host, I'm Paul Kemp. I'm the founder of OneMop. And this is the show that brings you great guests twice a week, every Thursday and Sunday. And we bring guests that are from the app world that can help inspire you with their stories and help move you along with your journey. Um, so I am Paul, I'm the App Guy, and this is episode uh, 22 of the App Guy podcast. So today I've got a great guest. His name is Steve Spalding. He is uh, a lot of different things online, but mostly he, he is the author of all the little things that he's very proud of, a book called The Really Great Stories, and a blog that you must check out called How to Split an Atom. Excellent blog there. He's a consultant. He's been working as a consultant independently for six years, running his own digital agency. So he's got a lot of experience under his belt that we really want to tap into and talk talk about. And he's got some great ventures that he's going to share um, with us that he's currently working on, like a new app and some projects and a load of stuff. So Steve, thank you very much for joining the App Guide podcast. Really warm welcome to you. Looking forward to this chat. I wondered if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your your business. Hey, Paul. Uh, Thanks for having me here. Um, So I guess the best way to start is that about six years ago, I was working for a great startup here in Gainesville, Florida um, called GrooveShark. And there came a point where I was finishing up grad school and I was trying to decide what the direction I wanted to go in my life was. And while I love GrooveShark and I loved everything that happened while I was there, uh, I really have always wanted to kind of get out there on my own. Um, So I decided that, what do I know how to do? Well, I'm an electrical engineer by trade, but I didn't really want to do electrical engineering. But I'd spent the last several years blogging on how to split an atom. And during that time, I had the really great fortune of being introduced to a lot of people in the sort of tech blogging space, of being able to go to a lot of these like tech conferences, um, learning a lot about digital marketing, learning a lot about how the web is sort of structured together. And I figured that I could take some of the um, problem-solving skills I'd learned as an electrical engineer and apply them to the digital marketing space. So with me and a friend of mine, we started, you know, we put together an LLC <laughs> a few days later. <laughs> um, and this, the great thing about this is that hindsight is kind of 2020. This was actually in 2008 when we did this. And there were some really exciting things happening in the world of jobs and finance <laughs> in 2008. Um, and, and we decided that this would be the absolute best time to start a new company. Um, so let's talk about that then, because that that's a great start. You know, people listening to this podcast are perhaps in a position where they may be thinking about the same thing. And LLC, I believe, is an American word for a limited liability company. So you actually set up 
rather than just go simply self-employed, you actually set up a, an LLC. What was it like? How did it feel like in that, that, that first year of you working as an LLC for yourself? Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm really glad you asked about the first year because the first year, I think, was one of the most dramatic experiences in my entire life because we started out not as a marketing firm. We were actually doing a lot of, pretty much a lot of everything. We were doing some web development stuff. We were doing some, you know, CMS-based, like, content stuff. We were essentially doing everything that people would pay us to do. Um, And so it's funny because you start an LLC and you think that you have a business, but you don't recognize the fact that you only have a business when you're making money. And more importantly, you only really have a business when you're making more than, like, 50 cents an hour, which I think was, <laughs> we, kind of, <laughs> we kind of worked out how much it was that we were, we were actually taking home. And it was something like, you know, $2.50 an hour's worth of work um, for the first couple of months. So I think that I would highly rate, especially in America, with, with the sort of laws as they are here... I would highly recommend that people go to biz filings and set up an LLC. It doesn't take very long. Um, But I wouldn't recommend that people get too excited about the idea that they have a company. I just would see it as sort of this little bit of of package that makes your taxes a little bit easier (laughs) and keeps you from getting sued out of oblivion. It is hard, I guess, to focus on the actual client side of the business um, because we moving into your own business there are all those decisions to make what's your brand your logo or you know the website all these things that perhaps distract you from the core which is getting money through the door um what advice could you do you have for people that are perhaps getting a bit sidetracked running their their business so as a person who builds websites and who tells people how to build websites and how to market things, we spend almost no time on our website. Um, in fact, I often forget that we actually have a website. Um, it's Crossing Gaps LLC, so crossinggaps.com. You should check it out. It's pretty nice now. Um, but the thing I would recommend that people do is focus almost entirely on finding clients. Use Twitter, use Facebook, use your blog, use everything you can to hunt down people who are interested in the things that you're doing. Because all of this branding and all of this, you know, all of this worrying so much about your logo and your web stuff is not why people hire you. People hire you for your expertise. People hire you when they know that you know something that they need to know and they're willing to pay for it. And you need to focus on getting yourself out on whatever channels you need to get out on in order to make people know that. I had, you know, a lot of advantages in that regard just because I'd been blogging for so long that a lot of people could go on my blog and read what I think and kind of get a feeling for what I know beforehand. But if you're just starting out from scratch, I would figure out what it is that you want to be the expert on and then just keep pounding away on every social network that you can. I guess that's all I can really say about that right this second. And it, is there a way, I mean, you, you mentioned the word pounding away. Is there a certain way of doing it? Because a lot of the social media's uh, outlets, you know, like, let's say, take an example, Twitter. Uh, that's a lot of push marketing that's going on there. And perhaps we're losing 
somewhat of the engagement that we had when you're thinking about, you know, six years ago when you were just starting out and the blogs were, the, you know, the rage back then, they still are. Is there a certain way to go about your marketing? That's actually a really good question. Um, I would say that there's two parts to sort of getting your expertise out there for people. Um, the first part I would say is to identify something that you're good at that is easy for people to understand. So if you're just saying that you're a digital marketer, it doesn't really help. Um, if you're like, I'm the guy who can help you SEO websites for bakeries, then, then you're starting somewhere. Um, the second part of it is identify the people that you need to talk to. And I think this is where a lot of sort of modern in the last year and a half kind of social media falls apart is that we are so interested in pushing our own expertise that we often forget that we need to find people to talk to and find out what their problems are. So uh, this became really apparent in the new product that we're developing right now that I guess we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, we're starting from scratch, so a lot of the work that we do is just trying to identify who our customers are and find ways to talk to them and, and figure out what they actually need. Because the things we think they need, we've found time and time again, are not actually the things that they really want from us. So I would say get out there and find people to talk to and then just start talking to them, at least as much as you are just pushing your own content at them. I've been doing this podcast now and I had quite a few great guests and they all seem to say the same thing as you're saying here in that listening to your customers is probably one of the best advices to, to give and actually looking for problems to, to solve. You know, let's, let's jump forward now. You did mention that you're working on a new project. It's clearly something exciting you. Um, let's talk about that because that, that's something that I think will, will be of great interest to people. What's your new project? So our new project is called Upside OS. Essentially, it was born from another project that, that we were working on a few months ago, which was this idea that we were going to take academic researchers, people who are doing PhDs and things like that, and take some of the research that we were doing, or they were doing, and transform it into products. This was a great idea. We were really excited about it. It's called Project Mona, and we're still working on it. Um, However, as a small team, it was really hard <laughs> to keep all of these projects straight. <laughs> and, you know, I should know better, but, but when you're actually doing stuff and you're excited about it, you often forget the, the things that you tell other people. Um, so we created Upside as a way of organizing these, these processes that we were doing. So, you know, we, there's Basecamp and there's all of these other great solutions for organizing your projects. But there's very few solutions for organizing processes. And we wanted to create something that would make it so that it wouldn't just be a task list, but we would have checklists attached to those tasks and best practices attached to those so that if I give a marketing task to our coder, they're not making the mistakes. Or if the coder gives me a QA task that I need to do because I know enough about code not to blow up the app <laughs> doing QA, <laughs> that I'm not making a pile of mistakes. Um, so... I'm really excited about this because I think that everyone has processes. Every company in the world has them. And we're finding every day that we, we look at this pro, uh, this new product, we're finding new applications for it in the field from like retail brands to, 
even things like assisted living and nursing homes. There's there's all sorts of op- applications for improving people's processes. This is great. So if I understand that correctly, then it's base camp, but for processes. And so, for example, in my business, I have outsources. And uh, currently, it is a real drag trying to use Google Drive, writing uh, the documents, uh, doing screenshots, writing down the processes of, of, you know, do this, grab that, send that email. Is this like a desktop application to make that easier or a website to similar to Basecamp to make that the, uh, the idea of building processes a, a lot simpler? You actually pointed out our favorite application of this. So a lot of people use outsourcers. And the, the biggest problem I've heard from people who use outsourcers is that they're technically extremely proficient. However, you need to make sure that they understand exactly what you want them to do. Like the big problem is that people tend to under-specify to outsourcers. So something like Upside is designed to help you do that. So if you had a task, create a logo, for example, you would put the task in Upside, and then you, you as a person who knows how to create logos, would then specify a checklist that says, make sure that it's in PNG, make sure that it's at this resolution, make sure you do whatever. And then you would be able to attach perhaps a template for previous logos to that as well. And maybe you could even attach like best practices, like 20% of logos that are green outperform 25 or outperform logos that are red or something like that. So once you have done this one time, if you have 12 different people making logos for you, you can simply send them that process and they'd have all that information in front of them and they, and you wouldn't have to do this sort of like Google Drive or spreadsheet jujitsu that so many people have to do. Yeah, I guess, is this something along the lines of scratching your own itch? Because you've been running um, a business and building up these processes um, for the last six years or so. Did the idea come from your own business? Yeah, I think it does. Um, A lot of, you know, over the years, I've had many, many, many clients um, at various stages of business development from startups to much larger companies. Um, And what I found above all else is that the biggest problem we run into is rework. And rework comes in, I guess, two forms. The first form is that people have a tendency to have large strategy meetings and then forget their strategies or put it in a PowerPoint presentation that gets lost forever in the day. This, This is especially what happens when you get strategy from outside sources like agencies, like they put together a $150,000 PowerPoint presentation, the C-suite looks at it for about three days, and then no one remembers anything that's inside of it because it was, you know, a hundred slides long. Um, The second source of rework for smaller companies comes from the lack of, um, I guess what we, what I would call like a base of business knowledge, because you're always doing 500,000 things, no one ever writes anything down. <laughs> so, so you end up relearning how to do things over and over and over again. So based on those two things, I really wanted, and we really wanted to create a piece of software that could allow you to capture all of that knowledge, organize it in a way that makes sense, and reuse it later. So I think it is a lot of scratching an itch, and I think it's a lot of you know giving ourselves a tool that we actually want to use sounds like it's going to be something wildly useful. I mean, that was a phrase that a former guest called Greg Vadika used. Uh, is, you know, you need to create things that are wildly useful. And 
that sounds extremely useful to anyone running their own business, no matter how small or large they are. What was the process like of actually building an app? Are you, are you planning on getting that app into the Apple App Store? Are you doing one for Android? Tell us about the app side of that project. So the project at the moment is cloud-based. However, we're looking into an Android solution at this point um, as well. Um, it's built on Ruby and Rails with a lot of JavaScript thrown in there um, with um, Nginx as the sort of um, server solution. So our, our technical um, founder, James, is mostly is doing a lot of the code himself, like where I'm doing a little bit of front-end stuff <laughs> when I get a chance. And our third founder, who's more of a business <laughs> development guy, is essentially staying out of the code. Um, so it's been interesting. Um, I would say that the, the thing that I learned most about this is that the product you begin with is not at all the product you end with. Um, we've probably, the thing that we launched only about two months ago was complete garbage. And I will say that because it no longer exists. It took us launching, going and asking about 10 or 15 people that I respect that I've known for a very long time who have done stuff like this, having them all tell me that this is a piece of trash and you should never show this to anyone else ever again, for us to finally get a version of the product that I feel is actually okay. And the funny thing is that now we're actually refactoring it one more time and everything that we've learned from showing it to the first set of beta testers recently is giving us a product that I actually kind of love. Like, I thought I loved the last version, but I really love this version. So I think that if I were to sort of summarize that, if you're developing an app, just get something out there and then show it to the people who will tell you honest things about it because they're going to tell you how much it sucks and they're almost always right. And you should almost always take all the advice they give you to heart if you trust them in other things. That is great advice. And I, I'm really interested in your decision to go down the Android route. That is a question that most of the listeners have, uh, whether to do Android or iOS. Was there a technical reason for choosing Android or was there more of a, a marketing opportunity for choosing Android? So that's actually uh, an interesting story as well. Um, we weren't planning on releasing a iOS or an Android app um, until relatively recently when we've decided that we probably are going to end up releasing an Android app. And that's because we actually started thinking about doing a tablet-based solution for our product. So it's great if you have a product like ours, it's great for like web developers and freelancers and things like that. Um, but if you need to put it in a Starbucks or you need to do some of the healthcare applications that we were thinking about, you have people who need checklists who are walking around and they can't bring their computers with them, but they can bring a tablet. So we decided that for cost reasons, Android tablets have a tendency to be significantly cheaper than iOS tablets. And so we were going to go with the Android solution rather than the iOS solution for hard, you know, hardware costing issues and just other things like that. So as we, we've kind of skipped around a little bit, we've gone from the start, we've then moved to your current projects uh, that are really exciting you right now. Let's go back to working as a consultant because 
that is very inspirational. People listening to this are perhaps at that roadblock where they're thinking about going on their own, doing their own stuff. What was it like uh, trying to find people to work with? Uh, is it important to have uh, co-founders or is it better to work on your own? What would you suggest to people thinking about building a small startup? The, the interesting story is that the co-founder I started my consultancy with, we no longer are actually working together. It was very amicable. We just had different priorities. Um, and as the consulting clients started becoming more marketing-centric and less technically-centric, we found that he was doing less and I was doing significantly more. Um, as it stands right now, on the consulting side of the business, I work with a really great set of subcontractors that I've worked with for a very long time. And I find that, at least from a logistical standpoint, it becomes much, it's much easier for me to deal with. Um, because I think when you're dealing with a small consultancy, as opposed to a startup, your biggest time sink is finding and servicing clients. And the the real issue, if you have a co-founder, unless you both have the same skill set or you both have a very marginally different skill set that complements one another's, is that you end up talking about the business in the abstract rather than looking for new clients and servicing them. If you're working with subcontractors who are you know friends and you've just known, they're more than willing to get, do any work that you send them so you can concentrate on finding that work. I think that my experience might not be the same as everyone else who's ever started a small consultancy, but I really feel like going out on your own as a consultant and just finding a group of smart people who can do some of the work that you're not capable of doing is a great path for a certain set of people who think like I do, I guess. <laughs> now, you must be well ahead of the curve because I'm thinking back six years and, you know, you this is when you started your digital agency. Now, when I was working with a handful of clients back then, I was actually working on text message marketing and short code marketing. <laughs> yep. marketing. Oh, I know how things have changed. It's crazy. And... It just seems so old-fashioned now to even suggest, uh, you know, that those uh, practices. But would, would you say you were ahead of the curve? I would say that the biggest advantage that I brought into the my consulting was that I'd spent so much time blogging. I, I've been blogging for probably three or probably three years before that, and I'd spent time going uh, through the startup that I worked for and through, you know press passes and things like that. I'd gone to all of these conferences. I'd gone to South by Southwest before it had like 87,000 people at it. <laughs> um, I'd spent a lot of time doing the, you know, TechCrunch conferences and things like that. So I'd had the very good fortune to be exposed to sort of the bleeding edge of how things were working. And also I had the good luck, I would say, of living in Florida rather than living in California or living in New York which I think gave me the perspective that I think you might lose occasionally if you live in one of these sort of valley-type states. Um, the, the way I like to think about it is that 
in the Valley, you care about eyeballs. And in places like Florida, where we don't have a huge startup culture, you cared about dollars. And I think that a lot of <laughs> the clients that I happen to be with um, respect the fact that I'm not just telling them how to do a social media campaign to collect 100 million eyeballs. I'm really more, uh, much more interested in them developing sustainable campaigns to generate revenue. Um, this is less true now than I think it was in the past, but I think that the distinction still holds. So let's um, try and advise you know anyone who's perhaps just launching an app, their own app. Maybe they have um, a mediocre budget to spend on um, promotion. What would you suggest to an indie app developer who um, wants to get that app out there and get some downloads, maybe even paid downloads? what strategy would you suggest in a nutshell? Step one, identify a small subset of people that you could reach out to. Um, step two, try to make those people, people who could help you further sell your product. So, so the best sort of people that you could have, if your product is directed towards, I don't know, if you have a product like ours, which is you know process management, Instead of just trying to sell individual units of process management software to individuals, we look for organizations that cater to the sorts of people that we are interested in reaching, and we try to create partnerships with them. So I think you know if there's you know for the people for people without a budget who can't buy advertising, I think that forming partnerships with organizations that cater to your particular niche is huge. Um, from a social side, I would say that talk to at least one person about your app every single day. If you can help it, if you can send an email to someone, if you can get on the phone with someone, if you can talk to someone in person, talk to someone every single day. Because the feedback you get from that is going to completely change your product and it's going to give you so many new marketing avenues than you think than you think that you have right now. Like we recently went to San Francisco and just went to a random tech meetup um, in San Francisco. And we came out of that with like so many great ideas that we would never come up with if we had just been talking to the same people that we always talk to. And I guess the final piece to that is be consistent. And this is something that we fail at a lot as well, which is that once you have your strategy, whatever that is, whoever it is that you're supposed to be talking to, whoever it is that you're supposed to be reaching out to, whatever kind of partnerships you're supposed to form, make sure that every single day you are updating your list of contacts and reaching out to people. Because a lot of times, especially in small startups where the people don't necessarily have experience with the marketing and business development aspects of things, they have this really strong tendency to give up too early because the first 10 emails they sent out, no one responded to. Just keep going. Know that every single time you do something and someone gets back to you, you're moving yourself in the direction that you need to go. So don't give up on your marketing strategy too early. So I guess those would be the three things that I would say. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, this is the App Guy podcast and we can't uh, leave our chat without asking you what phone you carry and any apps that you kind of find wildly useful in your own uh, career or your own personal life. Oh, that's really exciting. I should have, I should get my phone and see what I love right now. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, 
am using a iPhone 4, not even a 4S, um, because I'm trying to figure out whether or not I should switch to a Nexus 5 or go to the newest iPhone. Um, interestingly enough, the iPhone is the only Apple product that I use, but because I don't feel compelled to think about my phone very much, um, I like it. Um, so as far as apps are concerned, I would say my favorite apps right now are Smartwatch Plus, because I have a Pebble smartwatch, and it pushes a lot of great information to you. Um, my second favorite app right this second would be Camera Plus. Um, there's a lot of great camera apps for the iPhone, but I just really love Camera Plus a lot. And my third favorite app is Spot on Park. Um, even though I probably won't use it for a long time, it helps you find parking spaces in areas that have very few parking spaces. You can even pay for the parking spaces from the app. It's actually really fantastic. And when we were over on the West Coast, we used it, and it was great. So That sounds, that sounds really great. That does really sound great. And, you know, ironically, uh, our um, previous guest uh, on episode 18 uh, Videl Grupera, he was talking about the Pebble Watch as well, and we were kind of trying to come up with some ideas for um, the app that we could put on uh, the, the Pebble. You, you sound like a big fan of the Pebble. I love the Pebble. The, the, this is I, I got it early in the, the Kickstarter, and I've been so happy with it. My first one broke but they were kind enough to send me a new one because there was some sort of hardware flaw that they've now corrected. But the Pebble is great. It's even better than I thought it would be because on calls like this, instead of having my phone next to me making noise, I can put my phone across the room, and if someone texts me, I can actually see it. And, you know, the watch faces are great, and I just find myself using it a lot more than I even thought that I would use it. Uh, I can't wait until they come up with a little bit more sophisticated apps for it, but right now, I'm really a big fan. Yeah, it sounded like it was in early stages, uh, similar to the, the early smartphones that came out as well and how different they are to the smartphones that we have uh, nowadays. Um, I'll recommend it. Well, my personal recommendation to you would be to get an iPhone 5S. They're uh, awesome phones, but I'm sure everyone, it's, it's a personal thing. And um, it sounds like the Nexus is a pretty good phone as well. Uh, you know, it's coming up for the 30-minute mark, and I just wondered if there's anything else you want to share with the audience uh, that we've missed. Any, any parting guidance that you feel like we should uh, hit upon before before leaving the chat? I guess if you're an indie app developer, the, the very best thing that I could tell you is that shorten your development time. Like, get something real out there. No matter how much you hate it, no matter how much you think that this is not the thing that I actually want to get out there, put it out there so that you can start getting feedback. Because without the feedback, without other people telling you how much it sucks and why it does, you're not going to be able to get to the product that you actually want. Like, artists ship. <laughs> I can't remember who said that. I think it was Seth Godin. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and and it is 120% true that, that if you want to get anything done, you've got to get a product out there as soon as you can manage. Well, it's been great. It's amazing how time flies when you have uh, someone that's so interesting as yourself, Steve, who's been there right from the start. You know, one of the f 
I guess, early bloggers and then moving to uh, your own digital agency way before that was uh, the cool thing and now working on this latest project, uh, which sounds like it's going to be just a massive hit. So is there um, any way that you could share with us how to reach out to you, uh, how best to connect with you, should that anyone listening to this w- want to do that? Um, so you can send me an email at sb, as in bravo, spalding, S-P-A-L-D-I-N-G, at gmail.com. I'm always happy to get emails from people. Um, but if you really want to reach out to me immediately, you can find me on Twitter at sb, as in bravo, spalding, S-P-A-L-D-I-N-G, on Twitter. So sb spalding. So it really just leaves me to say thank you very much for sharing your uh, wisdom and we would love to have you back on at some point after the uh, project has uh, been fully launched and uh, that you've got some uh, months under the belt there and just to kind of hear back from you about how it's going. Thank you so much, Paul. This has been a great Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at onemob.com. The App Guy podcast goes out every Sunday and Thursdays. 